Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. If I can make my microphone work, it is indeed beautiful here, and uh, good to have you. We're starting a little bit later than normal for our second show today on March 1st. It's because the Baileys are in New Zealand. And they've got this funny time thing. They don't understand Texas time. I don't know. I thought we were the right ones in there. No, just kidding. Uh, Mark and, and Sam Bailey, uh, their team are married uh, since, uh, I think, when they first met in 2007. And they've been working on uh, viruses, what they are, what they're not. Uh, uh, Samantha Bailey, she kind of got religion some, some years ago when she got red-pilled and went on YouTube, and now she's a rock star on YouTube because she talks about, uh, she talks about uh, things, how to stay healthy and not get sick from a perspective of no germs, which changes the whole thing, doesn't it? So let's go to New Zealand, see these little cuties and see what they're up to. The Baileys, hi, good morning. Uh, it's 8 o'clock in the morning in New Zealand. Welcome, good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Patrick. And we can tell you that we're, we're a day ahead here, so... You did? Oh, We really? can tell you that... Yeah, 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 so... We can tell you the future. Could we can, you, could we you can tell, tell you what's happening tomorrow. Yeah, could you tell me what happened in the stock market today? I could make some money. <laughs> it doesn't work like yeah, that. Yeah, they already worked... I know, they worked that one out a long time ago, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> they worked it out. So, Samantha Bailey, we'll start with you on your background. You uh, were You went to med school long ago, right? And... We're kind of just a regular doc, and then what turned you, what flipped you to looking at things more closely? Did you have a moment in time? Yeah, it's probably, I guess, like everybody, probably 2020 with COVID, um, but it was a gradual process, and yeah, I, I think we talked about this on your show once before, that the the... the <laughs> I think with COVID, it was so brutal, the realising... Um, what was going on on a biggest on a biggest scale? So, understanding the big the influence of big pharma, governments, journalists, and this book, Virus Mania, was mm-hmm. incredibly important for me um, at waking me up. Um, which I ended up by chance becoming a co-author, <laughs> as serendipity and God likes to help with. <laughs> so it was a popular. A lot of people bought the Virus Mania book. Yeah, very much. Wow. <laughs> very popular. And um, and lots of people still write to me and say, I've just found you. I've just started oh. reading this book. It's changed my world. And it's it's been incredible. So um, when I started speaking out in 2020, I got fired um, from my job as a doctor. Uh, well, I got asked to leave and I got fired as a TV presenter. And what else? I got investigated by the medical council. <laughs> They're still trying to come after me, like in New Zealand. And yeah, it just but it makes you stronger. Yeah, yeah, it just makes you stronger. And Mark Bailey, you have been involved with uh, researching uh, microbiology, medical history for a long time, right? Yeah, well, Patrick, I actually I left medicine. I, I graduated in 1999 and was in the system until 2016. <laughs> And in 2016, I became really dissatisfied with the allopathic medical system. And I felt, I'd always felt something was wrong with the uh, whole setup. I was never comfortable. But in 2010, that kind of uh, reached the point for me where, sorry, 2016, where I I didn't want to work in the system anymore. So got out 
And then for four years, I had nothing to do with medicine. I just I kept an eye on things just peripherally. Mm-hmm. And Sam kept up her, her research work and a couple of other jobs she was doing. And even though I was encouraging her since 2016 to get out of medicine, I said, you've got to get out. <laughs> get I think out. this whole thing, get out, it's terrible. It's, it's, you know, there's something wrong with it to the core. And Sam was like, She's very much like, but if I stay and I can improve things, and she had, she did different things, like launched an online company to make it easier for people to do consultations. Mm-hmm. It was the first one in New Zealand, uh, and really tried to work from within the system to make it better. But around end of 2019, when we heard this stuff coming out of Wuhan, we, we got suspicious and started reading some of the papers, the WHO reports, etc. And it also coincided end of 2019-2020 with Sam launching her YouTube channel and just by chance at that time and before long we were just well Sam was flooded with questions about this COVID-19 and we realized that instead of making these kind of generic medical videos Sam said I think we have to start answering all these questions so in early 2020 I became the background researcher and just started learning as much as I could about the history of virology, mm-hmm. um, how they did their laboratory work, PCR, genomics, etc. And uh, the two of us just started um, answering the questions basically from the public. So, yeah, COVID kind of pulled me back in to the, uh, the yeah. world of medicine, but this, this time not as a practitioner yeah. and not as someone inside the system, but from someone outside the system who was able to critique it. So what fun, now you're together and you have homeschooling your kids and you just moved out in the country in New Zealand. It's a fairy tale life. I mean, come on, it's, come on, it's great. <laughs> and, it's great, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we love it. Yeah. It's, it's, we, we are living um, exactly what we uh, say is a good healthy lifestyle and um, we've really started living off the land as well. You'd, really? um, you'd love our set up here patrick we've oh, got a I'm gonna come visit house too. And we've got an orchard we've got our own water supply and uh in a couple of weeks there should be some cows and chickens walking around it's good for you you're gonna have cows and chickens what's the water supply is it a spring we we have a bore so a um it's not it's not that deep here it's about 15 meters down to the water table wow. and yeah, so we pretty much have un- unlimited water, so we can irrigate. Um, there's there's pl- plenty of water for the house. It's nice fresh water, so the, the, yeah, we're in total control of our water supply. So you can drink it uh, right out of the. You just, just drink it down, huh? Yeah, as it goes through be- before we were here, the property was beautifully set up with a pump house, mm-hmm. and it's got all the equipment. It's got a three stage uh, particulate filter system. Yeah, right. and. We'll probably stick in our own reverse osmosis system, you know, for, just for, for the extra experts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on rainwater here, and we just have some big uh, big filters, and then we do the ultraviolet light, you know, in case there's any bird poop on the roof. But I've been doing that for 25 years. I really like it. It's really nice water. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, ours has, actually, ours has an ultraviolet system as Does well. It? Yeah, I'm not... Yeah, I'm not um, 100% convinced about uh, what they do because they're supposed to, you know, kill germs. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah. Never thought of that. But, uh, you know. <laughs> well, the whole germ thing. 
So I've been really anxious to ask you this question. As you may know or not know, in this country the last week, it's very timely, the Republicans, they're really going after China. Everybody got the memo. All the media people got the memo. And they are going to prove, they're going to say, we are going to prove that this COVID thing come from a leak in a lab in China, and they're the problem. Now, the people that we talk to, they believe this is more just about war with China, not, you know, good. So my question is this. Um, it's hard to ask the question because the whole virus thing is made up, but let's say if there was a, 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 a molecule called a virus that could be breathed in, if there was, and then exchange with somebody, contagion, if there was, could they make that in a lab, put it into the air as they're conjecturing, and people would get it and then exchange it with other people? Is that even possible? Well, there's a, a one-word answer. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I was hoping this was story. the answer, but I thought so. I was <laughs> been listening to Cowan. Oh. So you just can't do that, can you? Talk, why? why couldn't you release some kind of thing that looks and smells and tastes like a virus, why, why couldn't you do it? Well, I think we have to be really specific about the science here. Okay. And contagion means that we have a disease that is transmitting between hosts via a microbe. Mm -hmm. So the microbe can be something that we do know exists, like um, bacteria or fungal species, etc., mm -hmm. or it can be this imaginary concept of a virus, which, you know, we say doesn't exist. Yes. But the, the whole thing is that that is what contagion is. It's not like dropping chemicals or substances and making someone sick if they swallow it or inhale it. It, it is talking specifically about this passing on of something that's able to replicate. And what we say is that in all of the scientific literature, there's no evidence whatsoever that these particles exist in the way that they say they do. So there's no evidence of a particle that gets into someone, makes, you know, starts replicating and then passes on to someone else to make them sick. That, that doesn't exist. So if it doesn't exist in all of their, quote, ordinary experiments, mm -hmm. it certainly doesn't exist in a lab, in a lab you know, gain of function, as they call it, uh, setting. So that, that's basically what it comes I down see. to. If, if they have evidence of this uh, particle that replicates, then they need to demonstrate that, and they can't. Is it the same principle that you all talk about, that you have to would have to isolate it so they would have to come up with an isolated lab-made something that could be put into the air and people could breathe in and get sick and share the sickness? Yeah, that's the, the other problem that we have with their definition of isolation because it doesn't mean that they physically separate out a particle from everything else. When they say isolated, it could mean anything mm. uh, to a virologist. Sometimes they just mean they've taken a sample. Yeah. Other times they mean they did a PCR and found some genetic sequences. Uh, sometimes they mean they put some cells in a test tube and added a sample and the cells died and therefore they must have isolated a virus. So they have all these unscientific terms to say that they've isolated a virus when they clearly haven't because, as you know, if you look up the dictionary, 
to isolate something means to separate it from everything else. Yes. So if, if they are claiming that they've done that, they need to show an experiment where that happens. But we know that not only can't they do this from, like, a, say, a human, they can't get a sample and find the, quote, viruses in there, but even in their own preposterous experiments and test tubes with mm. cells and things, even then when they say they've got the, quote, virus, they can't isolate anything out of that physically either. So, yeah, and look, look Patrick, we've dealt with this too because it, everyone says, oh, but look, this is, they isolated something here, right, but it's right. never a virus that they've isolated. Never proven, never proven as a, an isolated virus. So, in, in theory, on the virus model that they sell, do they say that people exchange this virus or exchange this sickness that the virus allegedly causes? The virus model says that, yeah. They they, they, then, they change the virus, Sam, is what they're what they what they claim, correct? Well I think they yeah, they the whole thing, Patrick, is that they have they don't have what we call any direct evidence that this is taking place. So yeah, right. like you kind of infer, they'll use something like saying well, person uh, X came down with the symptoms and we did a PCR or an antigen test and then they went to the supermarket and then person Y later on hmm. had a positive antigen test where, and now we've put things together and we've worked out that this disease is passing around. But you can see that there are other explanations for that observation, but uh, they continuously use these indirect measures to try and prove, uh, in quotes, that there is a virus when they have nothing hmm. of the sort. And you can't claim that these tests show viruses, like whether it's a PCR or an antigen, because if you go to their papers, there's nowhere in that paper where they show that the genetic sequences for the PCR or the proteins for the antigen tests, there's nowhere where they show that these come from a particle that would be called a virus. So... You know, instead they just go around these, doing these fishing expeditions saying, whoop, we tested the snot and we found some genetic sequences, therefore we've found the virus. And, you know, we've just pointed out over and over again, this is, this is not valid science. Hmm. Dr. Samantha, so is it, what is safe to say on this March 1st day that we don't catch anything? We don't catch anything as humans? We don't catch anything? Is that too broad of a uh, too strong of a statement? I think that's correct because we don't. <laughs> we can't. I mean, I think there's there are things that happen simultaneously in the environment. I do believe in in resonance and that you can be around people. You know, if you're around negative psychological stress, sure, around you know a partner or something, you can be influenced by that. But that's not the definition of contagion. Contagion, and I think. Yeah, of, of passing something between people. And it is, it's the biggest thing that people ha- hurdle, people have to get over. And it's the, the biggest question I always get is, but wh- how, explain why we all got sick at the why, same why time. We all get sick. We all got the flu, right? It happens all the time. That's, yeah, and, and, and I, I, I don't think we've ever not denied that, that people get symptoms at the same time. But the reason that it's caused by a virus is, is wrong, it, you know. And, and I think, Patrick, we should say, and I mean, 
you've been investigating this for a few years now too. Yes, sir. That whenever, whenever they do one of these experiments where they try and pass something on between people, it doesn't work. Mm. You know, in all of these laboratory settings, they <laughs> get people to sneeze on each other, they stick snot up people's noses, they get people to swallow things and hey presto nothing happens you know and then they have to resort to these most bizarre things like injecting things into people or well, not usually people into animals mm -hmm. or doing ridiculous experiments where they get super concentrated cultures of bacteria mm -hmm. and inject them into some animal which you know causes a reaction and then claim that wow look at that that's that's an infection when you know hey if it was contagious just bring one monkey into the cage who has the alleged viral disease or other contagion. They'll catch it. And shouldn't all of the monkeys get it? But uh, they don't. They don't. <laughs> well, the, you know, the, the, only, the only way they get sick is when you put <laughs> them all in a cage under the same condition for weeks at a time. And we, we saw this from Robert Cox's original experiments, oh, you know, Cox when they were coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that sort of thing is that the animals were only getting sick when you kept them in captivity for prolonged periods. And, of sure. course, they're all exposed to the same thing. So when they got TB, they said, wow, look at that, the animals are passing it on, when, in fact, it was just the animals were all kept under the same conditions and eventually became sick in captivity. So when they become sick, is it fair to say they're detoxifying from some sort of emotional or physical poisoning or chemical or something i think so i think going through a healing crisis is mm -hmm. um yeah detoxing essentially and healing and, crisis yeah 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 and the body's actually when by the time you have the symptoms it's it's going through it's healing and and, and then you're then you're ready to go again <laughs> yeah i think um one way to look at it patrick is that no. say you swallow swallow a poison no. um, or inhale it initially you don't notice anything you may have a, a, a half an hour, you may have a day, and you know, you've actually become incredibly sick because you've been poisoned. But it's when the body tries to heal itself, that's when conventional medicine says, now, now you're sick now at you're this sick. point. Yeah. When, now you're sick. <laughs> when in fact your body's now trying to, compl trying to heal itself, basically. And that can involve quite violent reactions, like with influenza or with... Um, you know, diarrhea and vomiting or with skin eruptions as the body just does its its very best to detoxify. So the idea yeah, like for, of, oh, go ahead, Sam. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, for example, with fever, that was a classic, what you're taught at medical school is that fever is an indication of infection. And I remember, you know, this whole process of learning about terrain theory, terrain theory is understanding that fever is this nature's bonfire for just really getting things getting things going getting things moving hmm. allowing the detox to happen and that in itself is a huge shift you have to make to to appreciate that it's not it's not a fever isn't a sign of infection and and i i found personally the this whole process from what we were taught at medical school i'm unlearning all this stuff every day <laughs> it's amazing that those of you that went to medical school there are a few, like yourselves and others, got out of there alive with understanding that the germ thing is just not just not true. I mean, after eight, what, six, eight years of germs, germs, the whole thing is built on germs, isn't it? It's built on germs. 
It is, yeah, and we call it, you know, you, you've probably heard terms like Rockefeller medicine, right, um, sure. which seems to have, you know, uh, and it wasn't just the Rockefeller Institute, there are other factors as well, but um, perhaps people identify with the Rockefeller Institute um, more than others. But this whole system of what we call allopathic medicine, which is essentially using surgery and drugs to suppress symptoms is the whole idea when to us now and we were trained in that um, way of thinking and in that way of practice we now realize what a terrible mistake it is <clears throat> and there are some aspects of surgery or sure. uh, other aspects of medicine which are absolutely fine look we're not disputing the entire thing sure. but probably at least 80 percent of current allopathic medicine is actually quite destructive and suppressing symptoms is one of the worst things you can do because the body is trying its best to cure itself and then at that point the um, if you stop the body trying to cure itself you can suppress symptoms but suddenly you end up in the long run with a much much worse problem um, could, you know you could end up with something like cancer yeah uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Sam and Mark Bailey are with us uh, we had a two inches of of global warming ice a couple of weeks ago, and so our phone line is down. It broke, so you have to use. Uh, I love those global warming ice storms; they're great. Uh, just email Patrick at One Radio Network. We're live here. If you have a question or a comment for the Baileys, Patrick at One Radio Network dot com. Another something I've been wanting to ask you too. So, what about these pesky things called parasites? I mean, all of us in the natural community, we spent 20 years trying to kill these things. And I'm beginning to think, I don't know, maybe they know what they're doing. Do you, do you think yeah. that parasites are there to try to help us as well? I do. Yeah. Do you? Yeah, you both yeah, do? yeah definitely. There's interesting um, research uh, about heavy metals, isn't it, Mike? With them. Yeah, or we're trying not to use the term. Oh, sorry. Metals, <laughs> like toxic metals, because... Obviously, yeah, well, it's funny with heavy metals, Patrick, we should just say, because we obviously have heavy metals like iron, which are vital to... Sure. So I think this whole thing, when we say heavy metals, um, we toxic can metals sometimes... Toxic metals toxic. But yeah, yeah, just call them toxic, toxic metals. metals. That's a good term. But as, as Sam was saying, there's some evidence that um, when someone is infested with parasites, the parasites are actually there cleaning things up. And you can find concentrations of toxic metals and other toxins that are at higher concentrations inside the parasites than they are inside the human body. So, the and so then if you start using anti-parasitics, like it medicine. Releases that. Yeah. <laughs> How is it yeah. possible we've got a three or four trillion dollar thing that's just upside down? I mean, it's like, it's what's that about? Holy cow, man. But I think... I think so much of it, though, Patrick, is that it makes these treatments, you know, treatments and in inverted commas, uh, they make people feel better. And so people think that they're working and they're, yes, they're, they're good. Yes, ma'am. But yeah. they're not. Yeah, because yeah, they, they kill the bacteria or the parasite, so they feel better for a bit, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, sorry, you go. Yeah, I think um, but the, the parasite issue, I think, um, Patrick, I think we all need to, and we will get round to it, because we've spent, obviously, the last three years and beyond uh, <laughs> just, just telling people that viruses don't exist, and you can <laughs> never do it enough, because some people have to hear it 20 times before sure. they go, wait sure. a minute, 
maybe viruses don't exist. But the parasite thing is really interesting, and a lot of us are turning our attention to it because Ah. we we think, you know, maybe these little critters are helping. And, um, I mean, one thing we can say from the experience, and I'm sure you have this in North America as well, is that the most parasites are associated with other problems in the living conditions. They, Mm. for instance, um, in our household, you know, I've never re- we've never really seen problems with any parasites, but we know that in some of the communities in New Zealand, which are very poor, they do have a lot of parasites, whether it's worms, uh, scabies, etc. And often, well, virtually always, it's poor living conditions, so bedding that's not washed, um, you know, basic hygiene measures that haven't been followed. And here we need to distinguish between hygiene versus you know killing every single bug that you can see Mm. Um, hygiene just means you know simply keep keeping the body cleansed uh, in every uh, way so these parasites are trying to clean stuff up or what are they what are they how do they get there and what are they doing there well, I think with a lot of things, they're, they're everywhere, basically. They're so, like spiders. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you can't stop them. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And often they're in forms like, uh, you know, uh, microbes can be in spores and parasites can be in eggs, etc. that can live for an extremely long time or be viable for a long time. And often they're just on standby. They're like uh, the firemen in the station. Most of the time they're not really doing anything. But uh, once in a while, they the alarm goes off and they come out and <laughs> get into action. And th- this is the the interplay is just fascinating. Like you might have heard of pleomorphism, which mm-hmm. is the changing of the form of a microbe, such mm-hmm. as a bacteria. And I mean, the mainstream admits that this does happen, but then they get all cagey about exactly why it happens, mm-hmm. and or they say it only happens in extremely limited circumstances, but. We've come to understand that there's this incredible interplay that God's provided where we have all these, everything is driving towards life. There's nothing that is driving towards death apart from terrible thoughts from humans and which (laughs) causes them to do silly action. Once you understand that everything is for life, it's it's incredible. You get this real appreciation of, you know, that everything is okay as long as you listen to nature's cues. It's, it's a beautiful idea. Um, I, I, I look at it like divine spirit, you know, God, whatever you want to call it, is always recreating itself, is always recreating itself to more new life. That's what it does, right? It's just more. All, and it's using us to do that. And as long as we just let it do it, you, it'll probably will probably be fine. And don't try to kill anything. This killing stuff is not going to is not working, is it? It's it's not working. No. Well, we we're always amazed that what do you need to start life on Earth is just seemingly just water. Uh-huh. And wherever you go, if there's water, life soon follows. Mm. You know. And uh, some of these ridiculous conceptions about how life has come about, etc., just make no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and um, you know, we can see now that it is—it's this beautiful system. Uh, we have a creek here, and it, sometimes we go through a big drought, and it'll, the spring will dry up, and then when it starts raining again, the spring starts going. And you know, in six months, there's all kinds of stuff in the in the water. I mean, where does it all come from? I mean. All kinds of creepy crawlies and snakes and who, all, all kinds of stuff. 
Where does they come? Where do they come from? You know, <laughs> it's great. No, and I think Patrick, that's one of the big things people don't understand about. Uh, well, you know, in medicine they call it uh, infectious diseases, but we we think there's no such thing. We think it's a, just a, a misnomer. Basically, is that if somebody gets pneumonia, they say, "Oh, look at that." streptococcus pneumonia isolated from the lungs and they truly do isolate it they truly do find it but we argue we argue that it was always in there it was always on standby and uh what happened was that the terrain changed like the lungs got some sort of insult maybe they got too cold maybe the person was stressed or malnourished maybe the lungs had absorbed some toxins and decided it needed to eject it uh, out of the body mm-hmm. and what happens with that dead tissue is that the streptococcus which was always there but just in very tiny numbers suddenly comes to life and starts multiplying and proliferating and that that's how it works you know it's not an invasion it's not you don't suck these things in and they attack you they're they're your standby crew ready to ready to help so is it fair to say then you give an antibiotic and it kills the healing process, stops it, they feel better, but then the, the pneumonia, whatever thing, will come back because the body's going to work on the lungs again more. Yeah, I, I, I personally believe too with antibiotics, or all of them, they work by, they're, they're very strong anti-inflammatory type drugs. I really believe that now, just seeing how how they work and that's we were taught you know at medical school that these things there are some medications antibiotics that are anti-inflammatory and that's why you'd use them for things like acne and that's the, the mechanism of action right. but now i think actually most of them are and they're like they're toxic nuclear bombs to the body you know it's um i shouldn't say nuclear but you know <laughs> <laughs> big, big bombs big bombs and, big and, bombs. and, it, and it and it does yeah. Well, I think too, the, the other thing, Patrick, and we, we challenged a microbiologist about this once, is if you do take antibiotics, where do the antibiotics actually go? Because say you have um, pneumonia, mm-hmm. where are the bugs? The bugs are in the airways, okay? That's where they all are. There's, there's you know, billions of them uh, in that petri dish inside your lungs there. Now, if you take the antibiotics... The antibiotic's not going in there. It's not going into the air spaces. They can't. It can only go in the blood. Oh, it's only in the so blood, of course, yeah. Wow. It's in the blood and, and diffusing into the tissue, but it's not going into the air space where all of the bugs actually are proliferating. So, How does that work? And I said that to a microbiologist once. I said, I understand that you've got your Petri dish and then you drop your antibiotic drops in the middle and say, hey, look, it killed the bugs, but... I said, in the human body, that's not working because where the bugs are, there's no antibiotic level or it's very tiny compared to other mm. places. So you take the antibiotic, it goes all through your blood, gets into your bowel, gets into your urinary tract and comes out in the urine. It's, it's spreading everywhere, except it's hardly going anywhere where the actual bugs are. So mm. it makes no sense that that would be the life-saving thing and then they start saying oh well it stops them getting into the bloodstream and all of this kind of nonsense and it just honestly now i mean we were trained to to administer those sorts of uh, poison pharmaceuticals <laughs> and now we just look at it and go what what were we thinking yeah and but they they do work i think in the way that they stop inflammation but if you don't allow that to happen then yes it will make people 
um, because the, the other the crucial idea is that you're not treating the underlying cause. What happened to that person? Why why did they get the pneumonia? It's um it's not from it's not the germ model, and and so it's really looking at that. Why why have they become sick? And it's teasing those things out. Sorry. Yeah, and I think again, it's that concept of that when the bacteria are there, the insults already happened, the disease has already happened, and now the body is in its healing phase. Whereas the way allopathic medicine looks at it is it thinks that the disease is now full blown and it thinks it's time to bring out the chemical sprays and mm-hmm. uh, the, the aggressive therapies and stuff when we're saying, no, 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 the, the insults already happened and now we just have to help the um, healing process. So this, the antibiotics are not killing the bacteria that are trying to help? They're not killing them? Or are they, are they just anti-inflammatory like Sam said? No, no, sorry, they will be, they are killing bacteria, okay. but I think they're indiscriminate. Like, I think there's not, you know, there's, again, this this myth of that antibiotics, you need the specific one that attacks a specific microbe. Our bodies aren't just one, you know, organi- we've got so many things, millions of things inside of us. It's, it's um, yeah. I, I think too, Patrick, um, to give you an understanding of how we were taught with, medications is that they talk about them as though they're very specific that you take them and they go to the right place in the body and do a very specific action so with antibiotics like sam was saying they tell us that oh look at this it gets into the uh, right place you know when we know it doesn't it just goes everywhere all throughout the body and then they say it does this very specific action it just acts on this particular uh, bacteria or yeah sorry i was gonna say for example penicillin only that kills strep pneumonia, you know, the bacteria. That's what we're, we're taught, and that's why you give that particular antibiotic. And if it doesn't improve the symptoms, then you need to switch yeah. antibiotics. It must be resistant, they say. So oh, it's, I see. It's you got to do a new one. And, and just, yeah, playing with the chemistry set until they get a certain reaction. And uh, But these, these drugs are not specific, and this is not just antibiotics. This is all – so they say, oh, you've got high blood pressure – we'll give you this pill and it acts on the uh, receptor here, this beta receptor or this alpha receptor. And when you actually look into it, they're making all this stuff up. They don't know that that's what it does. All they know is that when they started giving these chemicals to people, they saw various reactions, uh, like it might drop their blood pressure or drop their heart rate. And then they come up with a story about saying, well, here's a diagram of the cell and the, it's acting on this receptor and it's doing this. And they treat, they, we, when we were being taught, we thought this was all established science. We were like, wow, this is incredible. Yeah. They, they know everything down to the molecule and it's all <laughs> solid science and stuff. And now we realize that they're just, they're putting chemicals into people and just observing reactions and then they make up a backstory later. Wow, it's amazing. Uh, Billy writes in, if you have an email question, our phones are out, uh, Patrick at One Radio Network. Billy is in, um, I'm not sure where. I've, I've seen some people on the internet that, that are arguing that perhaps the parasites are actually trying to eat up the cancer cells. Do your guests think that's possible? I don't, I don't know about specifically that they do that because we see parasites, um, you know, in, in other circumstances where we can definitely identify problems, like say, scabies we see when there's just poor hygiene in the home so Mm -hmm. when the bedding's not being washed frequently 
um, when the skin's not being cleansed, uh, you know, on a daily basis, etc. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, clearly in that stage, we've got parasites just doing superficial kind of uh, cleanup work. So, I do think it's an important concept, though. What Billy mentioned, like the idea of cancer in itself, too. What what you're taught it means in medical school is that. It's to do with genes, that the genes aren't copying themselves correctly and then it makes mistakes and then it makes these rogue cells that pro start proliferating and forming a mass and then it spreads around the body. That's the usual story. And realising now that probably what cancer is, is a is, is basically it's, it's when toxins can't be cleared from the body and they yeah. build up and they try and wall things off. So I guess if parasites were trying to clean up if they do metals, toxic metals. Potentially they could, but I, I haven't looked into the research for that. Yeah. No, and I think we've also, on that hypothesis, we've got the problem of um, in first world countries where cancer is out of control, yeah. in many of these countries the um, parasitic load is very low. And conversely, in the third world where parasitic loads are high, we see much lower rates of um, of cancer. Now, I'm not saying that um, you could look at it and say, well, that's because the parasites are cleaning up all the cancer, but we know that they, um, you know, that there are other factors involved as to why people sure. get toxic in that way. And the, the people in the third world, despite the fact that they're not getting sometimes the cancer rates that we do in the first world, they have a whole myriad of worst health issues um, and shorter life expectancies. So, yeah, I think... I'm not saying that the parasites don't have, they definitely have some sort of role. Uh, and, and one of those end stage things, as Sam was saying, could be um, cancer if, if, you know, all of the interplays along the way are not looked after. But yeah, I think uh, by itself, I wouldn't say that um, parasites could uh, be responsible for, for cleaning up cancer. We had a Dr. Thomas Seafried on our show a couple of weeks ago. He's done a, quite a bit of work with cancer at Boston College. And he argued that this whole idea of a somatic mutation of genes, which is what they do, the cancer business, is just wrong. It, yeah. It's just wrong. There's no proof that this is the way it works. It's a, it's a lifestyle, dietary, stress thing. Exactly, and this is what's shocking, Patrick, is that you realise all, all these, all, they're all models, they're all stories, yeah. like theory stories that we've been told, just like germ theory, and you, and you, when you see it for the first time, you're like, this can't be right, this is, this is too big, <laughs> I know. but it is. Yeah, no, and that's what he was saying, he said, he said, you know, people don't listen to us, he said, we do all this research and we can prove, you know, that glucose and, uh, what do you say, glutamine feed cancer cells, you know. And he, they can prove it, but in the medical, they don't listen to them because they got their cancer thing, boy, and they're, they're going to run with it. <laughs> I think one of the worst things that happened, Patrick, was, you know, around the time when they were, uh, quote, discovering DNA yeah. um, post-World War II, is that they came up with, um, you might have heard this, the central doctor of biology or the central dogma of molecular biology mm -hmm. which gives this really ridiculous model and it says that we have the DNA and then that results in production of RNA right. and then that that produces proteins okay mm -hmm. and they talk about it like it's a one-way street that that's you've got this code that's hardwired that's the DNA mm -hmm. and it goes downstream 
to make these proteins. And then they say, well, when you get cancer, something went wrong with the program and DNA, you've got, like you were saying, you've got some genetic problem and away it goes, now you're, now you're dead. But the, the problem with that is that they knew straight away and they shouldn't have let this um, dogma, and that's what it is, they shouldn't have let it uh, permeate medical schools and because that's the way we were taught things work, basically. Mm-hmm. But we know it doesn't. We know it, it works. This is a multi-directional system where people uh, and organisms react to the environment and then that feeds back in the other direction. So mm. the actual DNA, the code, if you like, can be changed by reactions in the environment and you know we had these great scientists like barbara mcclintock was looking at this work from as far back as the 1960s i believe she was showing that she could make in test tubes she could change the dna of cells in test tubes by just giving them different environmental conditions so this sort of theory of you know that things are in your genes and stuff and you can't do anything about it they should have never let that one get off the ground. But like you say, because that's where all the lucrative research money oh, that's is. that's where it's at, they, right? Oh, man. That, this is where it's at. This is where the money's at for not only the research, but also the practice of oncology. So and they say, well, that's bad luck. You've got bad genes. When, <laughs> and, and what they'll do is they'll say, hey, we did a test and we detected these genetic sequences, and that means that you might get cancer. And they're looking at it as a completely backwards way. Hmm. They're not saying, look, there are lifestyle factors which can cause genetic changes, um, and, and that's the reason we pick up these sequences because the it's not like a piece of um, programming code, you know, that just is acting by itself and mm-hmm. goes bad. When we talk about genetics, we're talking about the whole organism, like the whole chromosomes and everything, and they're far more important, the way everything integrates together. So, you know, it's like the PCR, it's like, it's crazy. It's like trying to look at these little genetic sequences and then saying that you've explained everything with these little genetic sequences rather than looking at the whole picture. And, and I think, oh, sorry, no, no, um, go Patrick, from no, a wider go perspective, ahead. <laughs> philosophically, what happens is that all of these stories promote fear. Yes. It's it's driven, it's, it's fear-based marketing like cancer it's this this doomsday thing people will do anything because they think this is the end for me or you know i've got this infection give me what i need to do otherwise i might die it's all driven by fear and fear is the it's the petrol for uh for stoking the fire of of illness and we can only imagine what's going on in the body when somebody walks out of a cancer doctor's office and they said you've got this or you got that and they think about that, and they're worried. I mean, there's no way to even compute how dangerous that is. I mean, it, there's no way. It's just not good. Not good. Exactly, and 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 you can see, um, you know, s- small examples on another level with, say, for example, when you have a couple uh, and one of them dies, you know, um, unexpectedly. And then a few weeks later, the other, uh, you know, husband or wife dies and it's, you know, from a grief reaction. And you think, well, how did that, they were perfectly well, what happened to them? And it's the fear, it's the distress, it's all this, it's, we can't underestimate that effect on our, on our bodies, on our souls. Yes, ma'am. Can you stay right there? We're going to do a quick break and we'll be back. We're getting some interesting emails in for you. We will see how you all respond to those. Stay right there. Uh, Dr. 
uh, Mark and Sam Bailey. They're in New Zealand down there where they've got lots of lambs and cows and chickens and kids and having fun. This is OneRadioNetwork.com. If you, well, it's fun to have kids and chickens. If, if you've ever uh, thought about this technology we've been introduced to, I guess three and a half years ago, and it's called molecular hydrogen, and you, you make hydrogen gas and you breathe the gas and you drink the water, and we have one of these little machines. We've been doing it for over three years, and um, I'm still living, so that's good. Now, I really like it. It doesn't kill anything because there's nothing to kill. It is a food, or a, uh, I like to think of it as, as chi, or mojo, or just juice from God, molecular hydrogen. The Japanese are way on top of their game as far as um, hydrogen technology. Uh, this machine that we promote we think is the best available. It's made in Japan. It is pure um, food-grade hydrogen. You breathe the gas with a little cannula, and you can drink the water, and who knows what your body will get up to once you give it a lot of good energy and food. That's what it is. People think, oh, if I get this, will I get rid of this? No, it's just going to help your body to get stronger, happier, and healthier, and then your body's going to figure it out because we start messing around, as you know, with the body and telling it what to do, and that's always a black hole and go down there and no telling. So check it out. It's on One Radio Network, One Radio Network, and it's called uh, Molecular Hydrogen, Molecular Hydrogen on One Radio Network. And uh, and use promo code One Radio and you get yourself, uh, what, uh, 10% off, right? Cool. We've been working with this company for, gosh, how many years now? My goodness, probably 15 years at Daniel Vitalis, and this colostrum is on sale, and um, it's on sale. Use promo code uh, um, OPTIMIZE. Use promo code OPTIMIZE, and you'll get uh, you'll get uh, 20% off. 20% off. Here, listen, I think this is Daniel. Daniel Vitalis, one of your flagship products, of course, the colostrum, which is easy to take, yummy, easy to get the kids to take. Talk a little bit about how it's necessary for the baby calves, but then also that it works for people. Well, colostrum is the first food for all mammals. So all mammals produce colostrum before they produce milk. And that colostrum works not just in that animal, but it'll work across species and other animals too. And in nowhere is this more true than with cows and human beings. Now, cows produce this surplus, which allows us to take a little bit of that and then turn it into this powder form, which is a fantastic food and smoothies and other confections and things like that. It has this ability to impart the immunity of the animal that it came from to us. This is a pretty magical superfood, in my opinion, and Patrick's uh, whole gut has continued to improve with more revolutions around the sun, and I've sure had my share of colostrum over the years. Wonderful superfood, and one of the best ones available today. Surthrival, any Surthrival link, colostrum, oneradionetwork.com. 20% off use promo code OPTIMIZE, promo code Optimize. We've been using this product from Dr. Rulin Shu. She's a quantum physicist for, um, I guess, three or four years now. It's called Pearlsium. It's from Pearl, from living little pearls. These pearls are in a huge uh, lakes that are tended by her family in China. And what they do is they show these pearls sad movies. The pearls cry and make 
oysters cry and make pearls. I just made that part up. Yeah, but it's really nice to have a living food uh, kind of thing. And you use this to brush your teeth, and then you can also take it internally. And it's a bunch of different um, um, minerals, heavy on calcium. But it's it would if you take it internally because it's from a living source pearls, it will put calcium into your little bones. Been proven to do that. Not like calcium in a cow. You, know, so you don't want to do that because you don't know where it goes. A lot of people think it ends up in the arteries. You know? That's not good. Pearlsium from a living source. It's on one radio network. Brush your teeth and then uh, you can take it internally too. It's really, really a great product. It's on our website on oneradionetwork.com and I find the, if I can find the right slide, I'll just bring it back up and we'll bring them back on. Oh, I, I found it. Oh my God. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. We are in a good time talking to the Baileys, Mark and Samantha Bailey. Now, your websites, let's see, you both have your own website or do you share websites? <laughs> share websites? This is a standard joke between, <laughs> between me and Mark because I started this, right? Like, I, I, I had... Uh, I was nagged to get a website because I was like, oh, why do I need a website? Okay, I better sort one out. So I did one under my name because that's what we, I had the channel. And then one day <laughs> we had a, a, a contact who was really like met Mark and said, why aren't you there? Why aren't you talking? Why aren't you doing interviews? You're really good. <laughs> and, and, and I said, look, um, you know, Sam started the channel. The audience has got this rapport with her and she's built up this following. And uh, I was just in the background and, uh, but this uh, film producer said, he said, no, I said, you've got to get out there. You've got to be. That's great. He said, it's not, he, he said I can see that you guys are such a tight team that you do everything together and you need to present that to the public rather than have just Sam out the front all the time. Um, so, yeah. So by then we'd already set up the website and stuff. But to be honest. Um, I created a page for Mark because I'm yeah. very generous. <laughs> I, I've got a page. Give me your own page. And I signed up, I, I think it's like five bucks a month, I send Sam, and I get your little mailings, which is really cool. I like them. Yeah. And you oh, thank you, you guys you guys thank answer you. all kinds of questions on YouTube. Do you get a lot of questions when you do, do you do live streams or do you do? No, I don't do live streams just because of, I think, the time zone, yeah. because we'd be on funny times as well. And um, But yeah, uh, we do a monthly Q&A and people can send in whatever questions they want. And we try and just have a kind of a bit of fun and talk about things, um, you know, try not to help people. Um, but yeah, mostly, most of our, the content that we make is pretty much all free. It's just, um, yeah, the monthly Q&As and we just get, People get to watch our videos first um, if they sign up. Yeah, yeah, and there is there is a bit of bonus material. So as Sam says, most of the work we do is provided for free, and it can be seen. Uh, there's not much on YouTube anymore because of the censorship, but um, ah. we've got the Dr. Sam Bailey channel on Odyssey. All of the videos, all of the articles are up at drsambailey.com. And as Sam says, the benefit of being a five dollar a month um, subscriber. Nice. Yeah is that you get uh, early access to the videos, you get the monthly Q&As in which you can ask your own questions, and there's also a little bit of bonus material, a few downloads that you can access. And um, so, yeah, people find it's pretty, a cool. gen it's pretty good value, but yeah. um, so people, people are also welcome to just look at the stuff for free. Most of the things have moved to Odyssey from, from YouTube. You, 
that's going to be your main yeah. main thing. Yeah. It has been, yeah, like I, I get asked, I was even emailed the other day about by Rumble, someone from Rumble going, you know, and I've got a Rumble channel actually, but I just, to be honest, I, I don't trust a lot of the platforms because of that idea that potentially that could be bought out. Odyssey, I feel very safe with because it's built on that blockchain yeah. um, model. And um, yeah, and I've just, I really, they've been good to me. I've stuck with them and I, I feel really happy with their, but it's annoying for people because I, I know there's all these different platforms and it's like, where do you find people? And But yeah, that's what I've, and I found BitChute. I don't know what your thoughts are, Patrick, I, I do okay, but you know, I'm small potatoes compared to you guys. You guys are like rock stars. I'm just, you know, <laughs> I just put up You've a You've got the voice, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the, the best uh, voice ever. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to get out of here and, and produce movies. That's my next job. Yeah, but yeah. They won't let me out. You know, it's like what are you? <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. That's where I'm going next is to to produce movies. So this is a a, a good question. Uh, this is from Frank Patrick had a guest on. Oh, I think you've been on his show, um, Steve Falconer. Steve, you know, yeah. he's crazy. He's I oh. love Steve. He's just a ball of fire. And Steve was talking about that he felt like ivermectin and was not all it's cracked up to be. And this, this uh, Frank wants to know, do you agree with Steve Falconer, Falconer saying that this, this ivermectin could be dangerous? And Patrick had another guest that said, no, it's okay, uh, people are just overdosing, and that's why it's dangerous. What's your take, you two? <laughs> Sorry, we'll, we'll both say something. I know Mark will want to say right. something about this. But I think from our perspective, we deal with everything upstream. So we say, why would you use ivermectin if there is no such thing as a virus? Well, there um, you go. Even with, yeah, and especially for, you know, so-called COVID. I, I personally think it's dangerous. I don't think people should take it. I think it's buying into the big pharma model again. Um, it's not like with all the stuff, even like what you're talking about earlier with Patrick, with the war kind of with China, the gain of function stuff, it all feeds into this alternative um, narrative that means keeps people on the plantation. And that's what I don't like about it is it actually stops people from seeing really what's going on. And I don't see there being any use for ivermectin personally. Mm -hmm. And it is toxic and high people have overdosed on them and you know young people have found their parents supplies of ivermectin because of all the stockpiling going on because of fear and and overdosed and died and, and you know it's 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 a chemical it's not it's not supposed to be in our bodies but what do you think mate yeah, I think the whole problem, Patrick, when they started saying that ivermectin is, you know, effective for COVID-19, as soon as, like Sam says, we deal with the upstream problem, we're like, what is COVID-19? It's not a specific disease entity. It's right. defined solely by these bogus tests like PCR and the antigen tests. So instantly, as soon as we started reading one of those papers, we'd say, well, that's the whole, the whole premise falls down because you're not dealing with a specific condition here. So what exactly do they think they're treating um, with the ivermectin? So, but then of course it may have effects, like they may compare it to something else and say, well, we used protocol one with ivermectin and that was better than protocol two that didn't have ivermectin. Hmm. And we just argue that you'd be better off not using either of those protocols and sticking to 
you know, underlying uh, natural uh, kind of uh, remedies, you know, and, and treating whatever the underlying problem actually is. So yeah. no, nobody, nobody has an ivermectin deficiency. That's not a thing. Like you could be deficient in vitamin D, you could be deficient in zinc, and you could get sick for these purposes, for these reasons. But no one has a deficiency of ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or any of these <laughs> synthetic chemicals. They're just, they're not required. So, and, and yes, we have dealt with, you know, because people might be saying in the audience, well, hey, I've seen studies that came out of Monash in Australia showing that it is an antiviral um, medication. But you know, we've, we've done detailed analysis of those kind of studies um, and talked about that before. When you have a test tube and you're looking at things like uh, RNA or other markers that you can detect uh, in your experiment, adding chemicals like ivermectin and then saying, hey, look at this, we've got less RNA in the uh, tube and that must mean that it's stopping the, the, quote, virus from replicating. But we're saying there is no virus. There's just nucleic acid sequences, mm -hmm. and if you mix around chemicals in the test tube, yes, you get different results for another reason. So, no, we've looked at it from the basic science uh, stuff, from their actual evidence that they're trying to present through mm -hmm. to the more holistic uh, uh, considerations. And I would say I cannot see a reason why anybody should take ivermectin. And it is, historically it was produced as an antiparasitic agent, but for the reasons we talked about earlier, it's more important to look at why the parasites are there in the first place. So if it does appear to be giving some benefit through the antiparasitic effect, we say it's more important to deal with the underlying condition as to why the parasites are there in the first place. Right. So do you think, though, if a dog or somebody has heartworms that you could use ivermectin as just a fail-safe to get rid of those if you used them properly? I mean, it's still, it's still a chemical, as Sam says, though, right? That's not good. Yeah, I mean, I'd still be trying to figure out. If, Why? I mean, I guess you could use it, but it's just, I, I, like Mike says, I think you've got to find out why what's happening with the dog, what's the diet, what's going on in the environment, right. what's, you know, it, you've got to think about everything. And, and it's 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 like plants, it's the same as that, yes, you can spray plants with chemicals and it will get rid of fungus and whatever else on there. <laughs> but often there's a major problem with the, the soil, the, the, the plant health, and you sure. just, it's basically putting band-aids over things without figuring out why, what's going on. And, and I think, I think of animals like dogs and they're, they're God's creatures, you know, we have to, we have to look after them and, and help them. And I don't really, I, I feel guilty. I don't want to give them chemicals. Yeah, I, agree. <laughs> yeah. my, my belief. I have a girl lying right here next to me and I, I'm with you. 